I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, I have a candid conversation about, well, a lot of things. From social media, to your data, to regulation, Web3, and so much more. That's today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, July 16th, 2021. I'm going to forego listener questions today because I do have quite a few listener questions, but they are very in-depth. Some have to do with regulation. Some have to do with Web3. By the way, uh, Sean, Web3, I have a conversation coming up next week about that. I do have also things about Bitcoin mining and like comparisons from EV adoption to the electricity usage of F and Bitcoin. So it's just a lot of in-depth research that I have not had time to do. And I'm actually pushing those to decrypt. So see if they want to write an article about some of these questions. So I am looking at them. It's just taking some time. But what I do want to do right now is talk about Jackson Palmer, the founder of Dogecoin. He left the project in 2015, but he put out a tweet the other day and I had some replies to that tweet. He said, after years of studying it, I believe that cryptocurrency is an inherently right-wing, hyper-capitalistic technology built primarily to amplify the wealth of its proponents through a combination of tax avoidance, diminished regulatory oversight, and artificially enforced scarcity. And so I had a couple replies to that. First one is from John. John said, thank you for taking comments on this. First, Jackson Palmer appears to have first world problems, ignoring that many families throughout the world who are using cryptocurrencies to survive and actually thrive and to have hope in place of accepting whims of some authoritarian regime. Second, not all cryptocurrency projects are alike. A project like Cardano is vastly different from a joke project like Dogecoin. You can say it's altogether completely different from Doge. Likewise, the countless hours of work going into many of these top projects speak for themselves. Finally, with the above in mind, it seems like he's projecting Doge, which is a joke meme onto other crypto projects. Below is an article from way back in 2013, and there are countless other examples. From John, that link he's referring to is a Wired article from 2013. Link is in the show notes. The next comment comes from Zach, and Zach gives us another link to Reddit. Zach says, I'm fairly left-leaning, and I really appreciate the takes in this thread on this fairly obscure subreddit. Ultimately, I lean on cryptocurrencies and blockchain overall as being fairly neutral in values. Like with most tools, they can be used or abused. Thanks, Zach and John. I appreciate those comments. If you have any comments, you can always send me an email, matthewaron at decrypt.co. Now, let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 11.50 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $32,130, up 1.2% in 24. Ethereum, $1,930, up 0.7% in 24. Teller's in the number three. Binance is in the number four at one, nope, at $311, down 0.6%. And Cardano's at the number five spot at $1.22, down 0.8%. 
Running off the top 10, we have XRP, USDC, Dogecoin, Polkadot, and BUSD. Total market cap, we're at $1.28 trillion, continuing the slide down, the slow decline. But the BTC dominance is up to 46.9%. In our main conversation today, it's actually an expansion on a conversation I was having the other day. We were having this conversation, Ben and I, offline, and it got kind of heated. It was just like, hey, kind of an argument or a discussion or discovery of actually what we're talking about until we figured out what we were talking about. He was coming at this as a businessman, somebody who was trying to create a decentralized social media network. And I was looking at this as somebody who's running for Congress, more of a macro, maybe as a legislator. And the question in the comments, like, well, this is a pretty in-depth conversation. And the questions and comments comes from your data to how we should be regulated if we need to create a way for us to protect our data. Who's in charge of this? Is it coming from the private sector? Is it coming from the government? Should we legislate? And is just an interesting conversation of discovery. I think that we have to have more of these conversations to understand what people are feeling, have more of like an education of what people are doing with our data when it comes to either Facebook or Google or I don't know, just even they, they can read what's on your clipboard. That's kind of messed up. And we talk all about that here. It's a little bit meandering. I don't, sometimes we get a little off track, but it's a good conversation and I wanted to share it with you. So enjoy. And if you have any questions, comments, or if you want to join in this conversation, Send me an email, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing well. Look at this. Look. So you reached out to me via Twitter. Uh, you are a fellow Ohioan from my district. I, I like how I'm calling it my district. Uh, this is I'm running for Congress. This is the same district. And you are not only uh, living in the district, but you're also in the blockchain space. You're not there right now. You're you're doing your the good work somewhere else in the United States. You can tell us about that later. But uh, re- really quick, we had an interesting conversation yesterday, and I wanted to basically put it down on tape because I think these are the kind of conversations that people have to have, um, not only people who are in office, running for office, or, or just, you know, uh, involved in the day-to-day system of your data in social media and what social media is doing to society. And you're building something really quick. This is not a promotion of your company. I just, we were having a bigger conversation about that. And I'm not telling you this to, to, to for example, I'm telling the listeners this because yes. I want them to understand what they're going to get themselves into. And hopefully it's a debate about uh, social media data and what we should be doing to um, fix some things. So tell us a little bit about yourself really quick. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Name's Ben Schroth um, from Matthews District uh, in Ohio, from hailing from Medina, Ohio. Uh, went to college, studied uh, computer science, and where I fell in love with uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, the decentralization of not only our data, um, but also our finances. Um, you know, with that being said, with data sovereignty, financial freedom, and this uh, paradigm shift of our internet from a web 2.0 internet to the web 3.0. Web 3.0 internet, which I'm sure we'll get into. So why don't we just get into that now, man? Explain what Web 2.0 is and what Web 3.0 is. Yeah. So when the internet was first created, it required a lot of centralization. So a lot of your information when the internet first came out, it was colleges talking back and forth. So it required a lot of centralized computing, these mainframe computers. And as we grew out, as more, um, as 
that was more the web 1.0, those super centralized. And as we advanced forward social media, those early MySpace, AOL, AIM days, um, it required these companies uh, to have centralized servers to be able to communicate. So for example, anytime you use Facebook or Twitter, uh, you are communicating with Facebook or Twitter's uh, data centers. Um, the paradigm shift now that we're talking about, now that we have computing devices, the ability to be walking around with a computer in our pocket, we um, now have the ability to have a more decentralized internet. And what that means is uh, having the ability to have services and bring benefit back to the user, uh, which gets into uh, the business models where a lot of um, data scraping and stuff comes from going into these uh, data centers and be, being able to break away from that and having a more decentralized internet. Excellent, excellent. And so what we're really talking about right now is we're talking about um, decentralized data. We're talking about basically incentivizing people to, and this is what we were talking about yesterday, uh, to use a different kind of social media. Look, everybody's on like Facebook and, and this is very centralized. We already know what Facebook Facebook does for better or worse. Uh, they take your data, they uh, use that data uh, and they collect it and they, they, they crunch the numbers. They know how to target ads. They know how to sell their ads. They know how to make money off of it. They not only uh, do that to make money, to also influence you to buy things, but they also influence your personality. They get you addicted to the apps. They uh, influence different ways of thinking, uh, even by either um, you know purposely or not purposely. Uh, but uh, those are all parts of the centralized social media system. Um, I guess the first question is, is if we're going to go to a Web3, more decentralized system, does that even correct the problems that exist right now? Yeah, and that's a good question. I think the the root of the problem um, with Web 2.0 and getting into this paradigm is the business model of the internet. So taking social media um, specifically, the business model is to keep your eyes locked on the screen as long as possible. So they need to collect a lot of data about you just to keep you on the screen, sells more ads to be able to sell more products. So what they need to do is design these algorithms to keep you on the screen for as long as possible. So it needs to know everything about you. It needs to create a model that knows your entire personality, kind of your ticks, how you're going to act, how you're going to react to ads, and also be able to compare you with other users, people that you're mutually connected with, your friends, people who you follow, so that they can give you um, designed feeds, almost siloed feeds, where it is going to be confirming to your biases. It's going to be feeding you content that you're more likely to engage with. And that gets more into the human psychology and how social media has been uh, exploited, our, the evolution of our brain and our psychology to keep us addicted, uh, change our behaviors and really um, model ourselves so that they could sell more products to us. Yeah, but does that, did you address what, like the main ethos of, of this? Because my ethos is like their apps, their businesses work because of what you just said. It, it, it taps into like our dopamine centers. It gives us a drip every time we get a like or scroll, a new thing popping mm -hmm. up. We, we, they want us glued to those screens and i can tell you right now my screen time on my phone is well into the eight nine ten hours a day it's yes. absolutely <laughs> embarrassing and i should probably edit that out um <laughs> but I, I i and as we spoke yesterday my ethos is that just by making new products making a web three and changing the incentives doesn't 
actually go with like the, uh, I want to call it the macro level problem that we want to solve. And that mm -hmm. is the data, the, the, the data that people are trying to mine to use in different ways for monetization, for, um, you know, influence to persuasion and all mm -hmm. those other, other things. And so I guess I want to understand how the private sector can help us control our data, monetize our data and creates security within our, not only the apps or dApps that we use, but also our identity. Yeah. So I think in, in when we talk about that and we got into it a little bit yesterday, we have 3.2 billion people on social media right now that is collecting all this data about ourselves, our personalities. And what's going on is we just have so much data. So Google, the biggest data aggregator in the world has over 5.5 gigabytes of data just on you. That's over 3 million Word documents. And Facebook, about 600 megabytes of data on every single person. So we have these data aggregators that are collecting a bunch of data that they don't even know what to do with right now. So for the private sector, and what it comes down to is the money. So as a content creator on a social media platform using Google, because Google services has YouTube and Facebook has Instagram, stuff like that. Entire industries have been created where you, to monetize your content, you have to get ads. You have to put ads onto that content. So the way and to sell more ads, they need to know more about you. So it's kind of we're in this loop uh, and we're kind of stuck where we need to be collecting more data, but there's almost more data than they know what to do with. And these models are just getting better and better. So for a private sector, it's fixing this web 2.0 data model where you don't need to monetize through advertisements, through collecting data, where it can actually be and where content creators and influencers don't have to rely on their revenue stream to be through through these advertisements, which then is from that data collection where it can be actually, you know, monetized through paywalls or tipping or any other kind of different kind of dApps that we're using now. It's about spreading the, uh, the spread of wealth and the distribution of this wealth to the majority of the internet. These companies don't know what to do with all this data. And I, I, I want to push back a little bit on that. And, and then I want to say, talk, talk a little bit about what you said about Web, web 3. And we and we've established that we are coming from two different angles of this conversation. Uh, you said they don't know what to do with all this data, and and that that's what companies are popping up to try to tackle. It's like you have all this data. You said three point three gigabytes. Google has eight hundred megabytes uh, from that Facebook has on every individual that's on their platforms or using their their services. Um, and then you have you know, companies coming out like Cambridge Analytica that are looking at this data, coming through this data, and saying, "Hey, we can use this for." political purposes around around the globe. And so mm -hmm. it, it, when you said that monetization and and selling ads and using this data to sell ads, I kind of feel like that is a niche. Um, I, okay, it's a major portion of this data and how the business models are, are created. Uh, don't mm -hmm. let me say this, but it's only one aspect of the use cases for your data. And we saw that with Cambridge Analytica and other companies that are probably hanging out in the back that haven't been found out yet that are really using your data in very malicious ways. So it goes back to like what I think that the government or, or governments should be doing around the world is knowing that data should be protected in private and it should be controlled by the individual. And so since we have something like Web, Web uh, 3 coming out or 
um, uh, blockchain or these other ways to um, secure your data, to secure mm -hmm. this personal information that you are generating by using these products or just going through life, there should be a new kind of way to look at your data and say that this is uh, this is sovereign information by the individual that only mm -hmm. they control and that nobody else can can take. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, that's all. And uh, I want to make a clear distinction. Um, Web 3.0 is more kind of like an idea, um, just how can the internet benefit the user? And that does include a lot of the blockchain technologies. And that's what we see coming out. And I, we call it the private sector, but I don't think it does it justice because a lot of what's being done on the blockchain and a lot of these projects that are coming out for digital identity and protection of data, um, it's open source. We can see what's going on. A blockchain is a open and transparent ledger um, so that we can see this. Um, I, th I think where we kind of uh, not disagree, but where this conversation, this discovery debate is coming from is how do we um, how does the private sector or how does the government, where does regulation come in? How do we do this to protect? And I'm more in the camp of that. It's just going to come from the private sector, a bunch of developers, open source software um, with this web 3.0 paradigm. And in me specifically, I'm more depth into social media and solving that problem where you're the more macro scale, which will come with protocols that are accepted uh, by regulation. Do you think that private sector are, is going to have the ability to uh, do what we need to do to protect that data? Do you think that just moving people over to new forms of social media with new kinds of incentives is going to be the way that uh, the future social media um, user is going to be protected? Or is that another exploit that, you know, just savvy, smart, crafty uh, entrepreneurs or uh, individuals are going to figure a way to exploit? And so I guess where I'm trying to have this conversation is where does the protection for the consumer or the individual come in? And I do not think that the private sector, even though they will create tools or solutions, will mm -hmm. be able to uh, it will be able to implement them in a way that is all encompassing, all encompassing, and all protecting, and all and and, and you know covering like the, the bigger like macro picture because mm -hmm. of the private sector is looking at these uh, certain um, either re revenue streams or uh, business models or products. Like if you're using social media and you're like, well, I want to you know use the Web three, decentralize it, and you know the data, blah, blah blah, and you're going to use tips to give the incentive to act, you know, get engage with the uh, with the platform. That still doesn't uh, trans transfer from anything outside of that one siloed and even, not, even using siloed as being within that brand or mm -hmm. that app or that dApp outside mm -hmm. to other forms of either either other social media platforms or dApps or, uh, in, or other places where your data could be used. Yeah, so uh, two different answers to that question. One being um, the free market and competition. We have monopolies in social media, um, just anti-competitive and... What we're kind of seeing is that the business model of social media is being pretty tapped. It's close to being tapped out. That's why Instagram is going with a shopping feed and adding you know, new features and they're kind of copying each other. So with the free market, okay, we see this business model is kind of being tapped out and people are getting fed up with what's going on, the polarization in our country um, and what these um, algorithms, and we can talk about content curation algorithms and how those are built uh, to create more polarized uh, communities. Um, but I think the free market, what the free market wants and the market is in response to human emotion. Um, and I think there's a need right now that people, 
um, even though they don't really understand uh, the complications of their data being taken, um, the free marketing competition um, is asking for a, a different way, a different business model to bring value and benefit to the end user. Talked yesterday, I asked a lot of people when I'm talking to them about um, my startup, I say, how much did you make on your last Instagram post? And they kind of chuckle at me and they go, well, nothing. Well, why didn't you make any money off of it? Instagram made money off of it. Why aren't you making, you know, their, their ARPU, their average revenue per user is $15 over year over year. So I think one, the free market um, is good and just enabling competition and more competition in the space and opening up to new business models um, is one way that that will come up. And then the second is network effects. Um, the biggest, um, you know, um, the biggest thing that drives social media platforms is network effects. So, you know, when all your friends are on one platform, you're not going to be on another platform. You're going to be on that platform. And what drives social media networks is not, it's not really the social networking app in itself. It's people's favorite content creators, influencers, which keeps them coming to the app. So good content brings more people. And what we're seeing now is a lot of um, content creators, influencers, they're being demonetized. Maybe they cuss or they have alcohol in a video, for, for example, and they get demonetized and that removes their revenue stream. So they have to go to different services such as Patreon or they have merch lines and stuff like that where they have to find this money. Well, if we design a social media platform and you know, as this transitions to a web 3.0, uh, these content creators, influencers are going to be more aligned to the business model that benefits them the most, which someone, you know, with hundreds of thousands, maybe millions or even, you know, smaller YouTube channels or, you know, Instagram um, accounts, they will bring that audience with them if they start posting on that other platform because it's what benefits them. You see a lot of them there, you know, hey, go donate, stuff like that. You know, content creators and influencers, which drive these, bring the networks effects of these applications are going to bring their audience with them. You, you said something <clears throat> that I, I, I want to hone in on a little bit and, you, and because I think it's pretty important right now in at least uh, American politics and that's division, right? So we're talking about division. We're talking about how um, being within these social media platforms and having the algorithm tailor the feeds to basically move you into certain groups and certain demographics because it's just easier to, you know, uh, tailor information to you if you are in a certain a group or demographic um, is creating more division. Mm -hmm. And then to that, I, I say that this is why we need to have a comprehensive new look in regulations about how the internet works and how these internet companies work or these social media companies or anything uses that connects people in this way because of the exploitations that we've seen throughout the past, let's call it decade. Um, and just the network effects going to your second point of these platforms. And, and when you said content creators, I think that a lot of people don't realize that everybody who is on the platform is a content creator. We think of a content creator as our favorite YouTuber because they have a million uh, followers or whatever, and mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're a content creator. But no, but every person on every, every social media platform is a content creator. Um, it just depends how much content you're putting out, what, how much work you put into that, and if you're trying to monetize it or what you're trying to do with it. But even if you have 50 followers on Instagram or 100 uh, friends on Facebook, you are a content creator to a, just a smaller audience. That mm -hmm. still is 
a way of feeding into this massive system. So moving back into my, again, my more macro view and where I think that the private sector, and again, please don't get me wrong. I don't think that we should stifle any kind of information or, or companies or uh, new ideas or businesses coming out. <clears throat> With that said, we've already seen the rabbit hole of YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and these social medias. We already seen this. We already understand the worst case scenarios. And we do see the inequalities. We do see the division. We do see the massive uh, companies that are being created off of basically the backs of their users. Uh, I mean, we've never seen companies this big before in the history of, of the country. Ah, well, wait, the East Indian trading company was pretty damn big. Let's, yeah. let's, say, that, let's say that bad. But again, that was created on the backs of uh, <laughs> on the backs of a lot of uh, you know people that taken advantage of. So we, I think that we really have to think about like, how do we protect the individual at this point in the digital space. Yeah. And that comes um, when we talk about putting out the fire of all this data that's being collected for the business model. And then also um, for public data, um, you know, whether it be it's gene information or your social security number or bank information um, that's being, that could be, that is something that is a public service, your social security, your birth certificate, stuff like that. So those are going to be protocols that are put, into government. Okay, this is how we're going to do it. Use this, you know, blockchain technology, most likely, because that's the most secure way to do it. Um, and that's things that we need to push. Um, you know, the social media, stuff like that, tech is going to be in the private sector, but these public services, uh, such as your, your social security, the birth certificate, all that kind of information, tax ID, voter information, as well, um, should be, if that is going to be provided by the government, if it's going to be a government ID, then it should be protected in a way that, you know, you don't just get a piece of paper when you're born and they're like, yeah, hold on to that. And if you lose it, there's mountains of paper <laughs> after that, you know, right, right. Uh, you, we, we have these technologies and, you know, like I would say it's regulation um, and legislation is always going to be laggard to technology. And we need people like yourself, Matthew, that are going to step in and say, hey, we have this technology for a country that uh, prides itself on its innovation. Um, we need we need to be pushing these issues that you know this old legacy technology and be pushing it towards more this Web 3.0 idea. I like how you like to you like just they kind of like tapped my ego a little bit. We need more people like you, Matthew. I'm like oh, okay. And I, 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 you put Bitcoin in your bio. I'm right behind you. Yeah, that was that was that was crafty of you. I, I appreciate that. That was skillful. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned to me yesterday that people don't care about what uh, about their data. They don't care like that data is being used. They don't. Do you want to go on this podcast and say that people act, don't care about that? Is or, or, or please can you clarify uh, that because I, I yeah want to go off on that a little bit. Uh, I said that specifically, just like social media um, tracking. So you know what's on your feed, who you're liking, who's profiles you're viewing, uh, location data, you know, even down to being able to read what's on your clipboard on your phone, um, that kind of data. When you get data such as banking information and, you know, your social security number, stuff like that, people do care about that. Um, but mostly the um, social media information to be able to give you um, hyper-targeted advertisements and hyper-curated um, content. Is it that people don't care? Is I mean, is the study actually that you know that you know from this is people don't care, or they either actually don't know how much data data is being generated by them? They like, for example, the to know that what's for an app to read what is copied on your clipboard, um, 
people don't know that that exists? Is it that they mm-hmm. don't know what is actually being generated or what is accessible to these companies? Or mm-hmm. are they making a decision that is saying, I rather use this uh, app because my friends are on it. And you said network effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mm-hmm. friends are on it uh, and everybody's on it. And that's how I can get my news and communicate uh, and stay up to date. And I'm going to have that trade-off for the data aspect of it. Is there, so I, I, I'm on a question, what does I don't care mean? Does it mean, yeah. Any- or is there a trade-off or they actually don't care? I'd say it's more illiteracy. Uh, people don't know. You can't see it. Um, you know, you don't know when, and we see that, you know, Apple now showing whenever an app's using your location, stuff like that. There's those services now, but it's more just tech illiteracy and not knowing the, um, you know, the effects of them having this much information because you can't see the models that they are building for these content curation algorithms. So, um, it's not so much, uh, it's sort of, I don't care and I don't know. Um, and you know, when, and plus these services are fantastic, you know, uh, and alcohol and these are drugs, they're digital crack cocaine. Every time you scroll when, you know, it's like when you swipe up to refresh on your feed, it's like pulling, um, a slot machine. So they don't care because an alcoholic knows that alcohol is bad for them, but they're still going to reach for the bottle. You know, even they know that these, uh, social media is not good for you. Um, it's you're you're just hitting dopamine, you know, every two seconds, they don't know, but they don't care because their favorite content creators on there, they get their news on there. Um, so it's just kind of how it's built. And it's just the illiteracy, not knowing of what the effects of it are. Okay, good. So we, we both kind of, I say, we agree on this, that I, I think that it's both of the, um, the trade-off and the literacy. And I think that Apple, uh, here's, here's my own little, uh, kind of like theory, and uh, tell me if you agree with this. I yeah. think Apple is one being very damn smart, but they are now privatizing identification and government regulation. And what do I mean by that? Apple has come out with and is, is fighting with Facebook and fighting with Google and, and, and allowing all these app people to opt out of, of sharing uh, data across app, apps and you know, across different ecosystems and these, you know, these whole structures that are created that we don't even know about. And they're fighting against that. And so they integrated that into their, now their ethos, into their um, user experience, into their, why am I going to buy an Apple phone, an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac, because of the protections to my data, I can opt out. That They have created a product out of something I think that should have been regulated by the government a long time ago. Do you think that... One that is a good thing that that the, in my opinion, the 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 responsibilities of Congress and legislators and the government to um, have these consumer protections come in is now being privatized, almost like a way that the government doesn't have to have this conversation, if you will. I kind of see it with the First Amendment conversation as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the the government or the legislators. It's hard to have that conversation. It's divisive. It's very nuanced. It's very complicated. It's very, it'll be an impassioned conversation, but it's easier to not have that conversation and allow the, the, uh, the private companies to do what they want and just say, it's a private company. If you want your data protected, use Apple. Oh, it's a private company. If you want your, uh, if you don't want to be banned from Twitter, don't use that. It's their company. They can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that statement? Um. 
Yes and no. I think uh, Apple is making good strides in privacy and bringing it, you know, to focus for a lot of people. Um, but I don't. What they're doing is by not allowing um, people to use uh, like data to be shared between apps. Then they become the biggest arbitrator, like biggest right. aggregators of data. So they're the new they boss. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and data is the new oil of the 21st century. So if they are if they are the only ones that have access to this data, um, then what makes them any different from a government body or a state-backed body? So um, th the whole idea is that kind of gets away from the idea of Web 3.0, which is uh, data transparency, having open protocols. I'm, I'm a cryptocurrency, I'm a blockchain enthusiast, um, a maximalist, and what it's about is open transparency, open source software, open and transparent protocols where you can see what's actually going on. It, there's no barrier to entry to this information like like a Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those cryptocurrencies that are coming out, specifically Bitcoin. It's, it's an open and transparent protocol. There's no barriers to entry. So by them saying we're privacy focused and it's, I think it's more of a clever marketing campaign in which I think it's good that they're, you know, making people aware of it, but it's just a clever marketing campaign that we are going to monopolize your data because most people they're, they're going to be, they're all Apple products. They have the Apple router at home. They have the iPhone, they have the MacBook, they have the Apple TV. It's all Apple. So they own every single piece of your digital ID identity, which, which makes it any different from, you know, any other company, which is why we need open and transparent protocols. That is, uh, you almost like just described me there, uh, with my, <laughs> my, my suite of, uh, Apple products. It's almost embarrassing. That no, my they're screen, fantastic products. My screen time and my Apple products. It's just <laughs> embarrassing at, at this point. Um, and when the Apple car comes out, I might have to switch the Tesla up to the Apple car. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that would even be more embarrassing. Uh, but you know, you, you made a really good point that I didn't think about is that they are, uh, brilliantly becoming the monolith of your data, especially if you are um, an Apple user. And if you want to be an Apple user because, and they're trying to get those customers that says, be an Apple user because we protect your privacy, which then just allows them to control all of that, which is interesting. So then it goes back to, I guess, the original question that I'm asking is mm -hmm. what can the, the legislators, what can the, uh, Washington do about it? It does do they pass a law that says, "Hey, Google, Apple, you can't collect any more data. All the data that you have right now has to be turned over to an individual, and you can never collect data from an individual ever again." No, what they can do is uh, define a set of protocols, open and transparent protocols that have no barriers to entry and you have complete access, but it is under lock and key. Think of it as your digital identity as like a black box. Nobody can see in unless something comes out. So you go on to your Apple device, your iPhone, where your wallet is, or you open up your Safari browser or Brave browser, um, anything like that. And you sign up for a website instead of signing up with your email and a password that's easily hacked or whatever, you have this internet black box built on a blockchain where you have your private key and your private key unlocks your digital identity. I only want them to know this certain amount of information. That is what legislation can do. It can define a set of protocols that protects our digital identity and is pretty much our onboarding process for anything we do on the internet where we have full sovereignty of full control, full ownership of.
I, I, I 100% agree. Um, and, and I think that's exactly what we need to do is we need to create that protocol and allow companies to innovate and, um, and build uh, around that. And uh, with a more of a custom consumer focus, like focus of, of protecting people's identity and data, but that kind of moves into, um, getting that, 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 even that, uh, you know, that set of regulations or, or protocols, uh, moves into a snowball effect as well. Um, we just you, we just spoke about you know getting that birth certificate when you're younger um, and keeping it for your whole life, and then if you lose it, you have to go through all kinds of rigmarole to get uh, your your birth certificate back. It's mm-hmm. changing the whole ID ID system, and then that, that's just going to trickle down to not only your uh, your identi- identity, um, uh, you know, just as an individual, uh, as a citizen, as uh, somebody who travels, as somebody who votes, as somebody who uses uh, digital. Um, anything in the digital space uh it's going it would have to basically change the way we think of identity yeah for sure um having uh yeah just protecting and knowing that your um i mean everything's built on the internet now we we can't do anything without the internet you know by the laundry um our washer we just got is Wi-Fi enabled. I don't understand why we need that, but everything is on the internet now. <laughs> so like why you put it in for 50 minutes and get out where are you going, where you need to start it from either way. Uh, everything's <laughs> built on the internet. So we need to understand why are we still having these legacy paper systems, even things such as like car titles or um, mortgages, any kind of paperwork. Why are we, why is anything that is a public service still in these legacy almost like just old what we've been what my grandparents and great grandparents used. So um, yeah, we need to be pushing for those public services and uh, the public to understand that this is backed by mathematics. This is, you know, for a um, for Bitcoin specifically, um, it's built with SHA-256 developed by the military developed by the government, it is a hardened hashing algorithm that there are more possible combinations to guess your wallet key than there are atoms in the universe. Two to the 256. That is such an astronomically large number that if we put all the computers together in the world and said, guess Matthew's private key, it would take all those computers thousands of lifetimes just to crack your password. So letting the public know that your information is safe instead of a seven digit number where the amount of combinations are nine to the seven, it, it's uh, it's completely different. It changes. So, And that, that's a really good thing. And actually, I don't think it's thousands of lifetimes. I heard it was almost a lifetime of the uh, known universe right now to cast that. It's, it's something <laughs> it's ridiculous. even more secure. Yeah, it's just something ridiculous. Um, yeah. and, and something that we actually can't wrap our heads around uh, when it comes to mm-hmm. time, time frames. Mm-hmm. Um, let me be devil's advocate here because that, that's the, that's the best way I think to have conversations on a podcast always is you always have to have that one person that wants to play any side of the field that the ball is thrown on. doesn't matter. I'm going to, yeah. I'll, bat, I'll bat left or I'll bat right. It doesn't matter. Um, some people are very comfort comfortable with paper, you know, mm-hmm. because it's physical, they can hold it, they can see it, they know it's theirs, they know it's in their possession. Um, mm-hmm. I was just in a house today. And it was just obviously it was an older couple, they're probably, you know, well, in their 60s or 70s, maybe even 80s. And everything is filed perfectly. Everything is in this place, everything is in and, and it, they have the, their, their filing cabinet, they have all their probably records of, of the house what was was going back until, you know, they owned it. And then there were still records of the previous owner that went back to the house was built in um, uh, 1923. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things I think, but people love that people love that physicality of this and then with the lack of i guess government tech savviness 
Mm -hmm. um, we have allowed private companies and siloed companies and centralization to uh, basically tarnish the name of internet security, right? Uh, the hacks. I mean, we just had a, a, an IRS hack the other day. Like, how, why the hell is the IRS getting hacked? That's that, that's absolutely absurd. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, Yahoo hacks. We know about um, uh, Equifax hacks. We know about all of these hacks that went on. And that's people's data just being thrown to the breeze. I mean, we even in the crypto space, we saw Ledger get hacked the other day and everybody's uh, uh, information uh, thrown out on Reddit that owns yeah. a, a le ledger um, nano hardware wallet or, or ordered one off the internet. I mean, so mm -hmm. that is, we, there is so much bad press about internet, digital, anything and hacks. Yeah. Why, why would, why would anybody that does anything in the physical with, with the physical even trust this new idea and that you have some, you know, some kids, mm -hmm. we just call ourselves kids uh, uh, coming out saying like, yeah, put it on the blockchain. And they're just like, so it's uh, kind of two questions there. And I'll answer like the physical tangible good um, and circle back around to that. But when we're talking about these IRS hack or the ledger hack or any of these other kind of hacks, um, the hack is actually the overwhelming majority of time is because of human error shitty passwords um or you know the uh like for microsoft the exchange hack um a couple months ago um as well as the solar winds hack it was because an update server had the default password and they were able to push updates to every single server so the majority of these problems come because of bad human error um so it isn't actually in the protocol the internet protocol the a hacker can't sniff your packet sniffing is what it's called to see your communication between because of the early cryptography that was built into the internet stack in the in the 80s you know encrypted end-to-end -end, uh so software where you cannot do that you know vpn tunneling stuff like that these are stuff that are hardened by code you know it's not it's not usually and the code is written by a person so it, it, the overwhelming majority of hacks and especially with the ledger hack no one's funds were lost it was because they had a database error where people could find their address and um and their emails and stuff like that because of a human error in the database administration passwords that were used in Ledger. So most of this is all because of human error. So what we want to do is get rid of as much human error as possible. So those websites you sign up for and you use the same password for everything, that's human error. That's not because of the protocols. That's human error. Um, so that's kind of the answer why we use you know, say the kids come in with blockchain. Well, it's, it's, it's the most secure distributed system that we have. So, and then uh, if you wanted to answer that back and I can get back to tangible. Yeah, no, I think I think that's good. I first want to let everybody know and, and correct me if I'm wrong with with this is is when people use the same password. And I want to say just like one, two, three, four, five, six. It's not that people can guess like for the back end, people can't guess what what one, two, three, four, five, six is, is because your password is usually ran through a hashing algorithm. And one thing about a hashing yeah. algorithm is, is that the one, two, three, four, five, six looks a certain way on the hashed end that people could say oh that one these people are using the same password they can look at a, a whole string of hashes and go these are all similar oh that is what the hash of one two three four five six is and but so they're not reading your password they're reading the hash that that is a result of the password is that correct um sort of so kind of uh john the ripper is what the it's called a dictionary tag and um a popular open source um hacking tool is called john the ripper which it has um a text file with 
millions of the most commonly used passwords, password, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, and so what it does, it just runs through that service, runs through that entire dictionary with these most common passwords, and then it finds it. Um, so the hashes, there's different hashes that people use, but they're not looking at the hashes. The hashes are just for like clear text. So you can't just like go into a database and be like, oh, there's right. a clear text password. That is just more hidden too, so that you have to use. That's why you use like those, you know, as long different characters, as long passwords as possible, stuff like that. So that, I mean, you can protect yourself from John the Ripper, really. Long story short, that's a, a good way, way what reason to put some ampersands in there or some hashtags or ads or exclamation points and big letter, little letter and one, two, threes mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. Mix yeah. it up because it's almost impossible to guess and I'll, I'll, almost impossible to read. Um, so and use a password manager for anybody using. Use a password manager, have a master password that you have memorized, write it down, have your tangible password and uh, then have it generated for you. It could be super long and you only have to memorize one password. Just security advice, no, and that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I, I, going back to the original question is is like uh, you you said a lot of stuff in what you're answering to my original question was you know basically well we, they need to know that this is a new kind of well that's the thing it's about education about how to know that this stuff works and be, again people like you said back a little bit ago again people don't care and it's not that they don't care it's just they don't know or they don't have time or that there's a trade off to to whatever right so you're not going to get people to know what a blockchain is or decentralization is or web three is or whatever that is going to protect them. They just want to see the, the damn hack stop, you know, and, and it's going to take time. So the, the, the question is, how do you get these institutions or people comfortable with um, putting things on in a digital form, having their ID be digital and then not just go, bro, it's going to get hacked. I'm not going to, I'm not going to use this. I don't want to use this. I've seen things get hacked. And you're like, but this is different. And they're like, it ain't different. This is on the mm -hmm. computer and the computer is going to get hacked. Why, how are yeah. you going to sell this to me? So how do we even break down that barrier? Do we just wait for time and, and watch and just watch the natural evolution of digital come out? Or do we actually have to make a propaganda push? Maybe that's a wrong word to use, but it is this propaganda push of new systems. How, how, do, how do we get this done? Um, two things. Well, generations be generations now know are a lot more tech literate. You have like one-year-olds using iPads now and being able to like fix mom and dad's issues, maybe not a one-year-old. Also the job of an engineer like myself building my own startup and to reference Steve jobs is to make it stupid, simple. The job of an engineer is to make it seamless. I mean, there you don't need to know that Facebook works on a GraphQL API library with a Kubernetes cluster running on multiple Docker containers. You what? don't need to know that. You, exactly. You just need to know you go to Facebook.com. So the job of an engineer is to make it so simple. So, so was that just nerd speak for Facebook.com? Kind of it's how they uh, distribute <laughs> content. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, but what I'm trying to say is they, they want to make it simple. The whole idea of the MacBook, the Apple computer was making it easier for the everyday computer, you know, going back to MS-DOS where it was all on a computer terminal. And then you introduce the GUI and, oh, it's like, oh, these computers, you know, you use, we introduced the mouse. The mouse made it so much easier, giving better feedback. Gu GUI is graphic user interface? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So that window being able to point and click. So, you know, looking at the evolution of computing, how much it has evolved in since 
the 1980s and the early internet to now, these user experiences have been built where you can have a one-year-old clicking through YouTube watching videos. So it, it, it takes time, but the job of an engineer is to make this, I mean, it, it, anytime you're going to try to sell a product to get more people, you have to make the onboarding process, that user experience better. So I, I wish I had an exact answer now for something like data identification. How are we going to make this easier? But again, with the Facebook reference I made, they don't need to know how it's working. They just need to know that it works. Exactly. But I guess I, I'm not talking about how it works. I'm talking about trust and, and it's going to be impossible to switch people over. And again, <clears throat> I am, I've been thinking about this for many years of uh, identification on the blockchain of login using, using a digital ID, just what we said, private keys, dude, this needs to happen, but it's again, mm -hmm. it's, it's about trust. How mm -hmm. do you get the people to trust this again with all of the, well, hacks, the continuing hacks that are happening day to day in and day out. I mean, we just had the pipeline hack and, you know, gas prices mm -hmm. went up and, you know, there's lines at the pump and we're just like, are you serious? Yeah. We're, we're getting hacked by yeah. who, who knows what person, you know, ransomware, like this is absolutely absurd. And you want mm -hmm. me to trust you with my identity, which identity theft is a real thing. And that's what people are coming straight down to. It's like, sure, you can hack my Facebook fine, but uh, you get my social security and you mess up my credit. I'm uh, like, no, dude, you yeah. can't, I'm not going to trust that to the government and to these people that, that, that said, think they know better than, than me. When my, my, my social security card is right here in the safe mm -hmm. right here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that ties into human emotion and like really understanding. And, you know, I wish I had a good answer for that on, you know, what uh, would make it easier or would what would make them understand. Um, and that just comes down to marketing. I'm not a marketer. I'm a tech guy. Um, you know, that's kind of, you know, I can come to them and tell you, hey, you know, their password, there's more possible combinations than there are atoms in the universe. Run with that. You know, that that that's more of a marketing problem than a tech problem because the tech's here already. We just have a marketing problem. And I've always said crypto has a marketing problem. Like even when you say atoms in the universe, it's like, oh, that's gonna be like a lot. But I mean, just think about how many atoms are in, are in your desk right now that you're just sitting there. It's like unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like I don't even- It's inconceivable. Thing's, it's the thing solid. I can't, like, I don't <laughs> see the atoms. Like imagine like there's a password, all the atoms in the universe. I just- Two to the two fifty six, a pretty big number. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what that means, man. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know how we're gonna round off this conversation, but after forty five minutes, I kind of do. Um, but I want to leave here with some kind of positive thought. After we went through all kinds of different conversations, weaving in and out of social medias and datas and IDs and you know centralization and governments and Apple and whatever the hell we just uh, spoke about today. Mm -hmm. I want to leave on a high note on, on something that is positive. That's a way that we can, I guess, here, here's what I want to do is I want to make sure that people get paid full stop Two, I want to make sure that people's data is protected and people's identities are protected. And I think it's totally bogus that you have people that are billions and billions, even a hundred billion dollar rich, rich people uh, from Facebook CEOs to whatever, um, to uh, companies that are trillion dollar companies, uh, all exploiting you and your data and you using their system. And thank you very much for making Google. Damn, it makes my life easy. And thank you very much for making Amazon. It makes my life easy. And you know what? Facebook is great. I haven't connected with some of these friends, some of my friends in 20 years until Facebook came out. I was like, where have you been? 
it's, yeah. it's dope. Thank you for, for thank sure. you, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg, for making this. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. At the mm-hmm. same time, it's like I, I appreciate you connecting me with this friend, but um, you just use all my data, and now you're you have you know fifty billion dollars, and your company is a trillion dollar company, and and I'm still you know like how do we like I want to come uh, come out with like some solutions. Like mm-hmm. let's let's make a let's make a solution right here. Let's try to think about a solution. Is how do we protect people and get people paid? Yeah, um, I mean, if you don't mind, I'll bring up what I'm working on right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just I just I just softballed through that shit to you, right? Didn't I? Yeah, no, right, right, no. Right. Thank you, I appreciate that. So yeah, uh, over the past year, or so uh, biggest thing what I've been doing is building uh, decentralized social media, and what I mean by that is bringing sovereignty to the user. This Web 3.0, being able to be paid off of the internet. And it's built on um, the Bitcoin network, which is called the Lightning Network, where you can do fractions of a payment. So you have a content creator and you want to support them, but you, you know, you don't want to give them five dollars. You can give them three tenths of a penny, which compounds. You know, they have a lot of followers. It compounds. Or a content creator, they have a piece of content that they work super hard on, and they wanted to put it behind a paywall. You know, hey, ten satoshis, which is the smallest denomination of a Bitcoin. Um, you know, 10 Satoshis to watch this video. It's about bringing the revenue stream and what makes the content creators the most popular. Um, what makes them, what made them popular and what put their audience, got their audience to keep watching them is to bring that revenue stream directly to them. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to pay, you know, a penny and, you know, have these routing transaction fees with a card or, you know, having this onboarding process to verify your identity. It's just a simple, simple, uh, just simple click tip and you could be paying them, uh, whatever you want. Um, and I think, I think it really transitions to bringing sovereignty for content creators, which a lot of content creators are being demonetized, um, because they don't follow these guidelines and they can't show ads and then they can't make any money and they have to find these different revenue streams. So I think, um, and entire industries have boomed in the last 10 years with content creators and they've been kind of left behind. You have Zuckerberg and um, the guys with Alphabet, you know, Google, YouTube, um, Jack Dorsey, they are worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And there it's just kind of being trickled down to the content creators, which made their uh, platform so popular. So uh, I, I really, uh, I'm passionate about fixing the social media pro- problem, bringing benefit, not only just to content creators, but you know, to you as well, Matthew, how great would it be if you could just receive a donation? One of your tweets goes viral and you receive a bunch of donations for your campaign. You know, people, you know, people getting behind a lot of people running for elections or even you go viral and you get tipped a bunch or, you know, little stuff like that is bringing community back together on social media and then that goes into my positive note for the end of this i, I want to make sure that people have uh have control over the data and i also want to expand people's rights and i want a voting right is, is one of those and like we just said about the black box and logging in with a private key there is no reason that we're not doing that with, with voting machines i want to make sure that people are and like you said you know um getting tips for going viral or what have you it's just um cut cut the people in that are, you know, making these systems work for the most part. And like I said before, we are all content creators, no matter how big or small you are. If you're on a social media and you're putting out any content, you are a content creator and they are monetizing that and cut me in. Cut, I want to cut you in. I want to cut people in. I want to make sure that this system and this economy is working for everyone. And if that comes down to just using your social media platform, if that goes into voting, if that goes into protecting your data, if that goes into, um, you know, any other, any other thing that can be, you know, 
more secure um, and transparent. Actually, I want to I want to define transparency a little bit because I think people get uh, worried about that. Um, the the word transparency. So the, the, let's, let's let's try to define that. Transparency doesn't mean that everybody can see everything that you're doing all the time. It doesn't. It does not mean that everybody has open access to everything you've ever done, everything you ever clicked, everything, every criminal record or place that you lived or your credit scores. It does not mean that. No, no. What I mean by that is just uh, transparent protocols that, you know, okay, I know what information, it's not like so much, I know what information is being taken from me. You know, you can look and see the transact, say transaction history of your personal data. Okay, this took this there, or having a set defined defined guidelines where they can take data or, you know, allowing to have that data, just transparency to know what's going on with your data instead of having it obfuscated and Exactly. We have no, and just to clarify um, and to summarize, we don't know what Facebook's doing your data. We don't know what they're collecting. They don't know. We don't know who's buying it. We don't know how it's being used. We don't know that with Google. We don't know that that Apple. We don't even know what's out there on us. And that is not transparent, nor do I know what to even uh, be mad about that's out there on me because I don't know what people are even looking at because it's not transparent. And we should have that power to turn these, I, I guess, this fire hose off of data that they're. Again, you said it was it's the new new uh, digital oil uh, that they're getting not re- only really rich on, but also exploiting our uh, engagement as well. Um, you are not in Ohio at the moment, are you? No, I'm not. I uh, just moved to uh, Tampa, Florida. And I want to ask you that this, and this is a question just about you know we're from Ohio. You're from the district. Yep. Um, you're you seem like a smart dude. You're developing and creating and building, but you're not doing that in Ohio. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, so started in Ohio. Uh, it was more, I'm young, got out of college, uh, just kind of wanted to go explore. Um, and for in my industry, in cryptocurrency industries, as a engineer, a lot of companies were coming down. Um, Miami area is very big in um, very big in Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, Austin, Texas. So I kind of just went down there for that. Um, and there wasn't a lot of um, there, there are blockchain startups, cryptocurrency startups um, in Ohio, but it wasn't because it would drove me away or anything like that. It was more just kind of exploring, being young and going exploring. Will you be back in Ohio? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, Cleveland's home. Go Browns. Go Tribe. Oh, uh, yeah, no, big Browns fan. I'm, I'm be missing. I'll be barking down in Florida uh, for this season. <laughs> I, I'm disappointed. I'm not going to be around for uh, games this year, but uh, there'll be barks here in Tampa. That's awesome, man. Ben, thanks for coming on and chatting with us. And um, yeah, I can't wait to meet you in Ohio or in Tampa and let's stay in touch. And I can't wait to see how your company goes. And uh, when, once you get that uh, social media up and running, make sure that you make a Deemer for Congress page so I can come up there and interact. Oh, yeah. You know, there's no barrier entry. You get in right away. Oh, that's awesome. All right, brother. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it, Matthew. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.